You are listening to the DOCUS podcast, brought to you by the Irish support agency New South Wales, a podcast designed to promote the mental health and well-being of the Irish community in Australia. Each month, we will explore a different aspect of mental health and well-being, guided by the latest evidence and facilitated by an expert in the field. Please support us by liking, subscribing and sharing. Enjoy the episode. So good evening everyone and welcome to July's episode of our DOCUS webinar and podcast series. My name is Una and I am the Project Officer at the Irish Support Agency and I'm also on the Mental Health and Wellbeing Working Group. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that I am hosting this webinar from the lands of the Camaragal people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians on the various lands on which you're all watching. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this is also NIDOC week that we are celebrating. So DOCUS is back after a six month break and it will be brought to you on the first Monday of each month with each session exploring a different aspect of health and well-being. All of our previous episodes can be found on the ISA's YouTube and Spotify channel. If you have any questions throughout the conversation, please feel free to pop them into the chat box, but we will also have some time for questions at the end. So tonight, you're very welcome to Settled, the Irish Immigrants' Journey to Settlement in Australia, where we will be chatting with a number of people who have chosen to call Australia home. Some have lived here longer than others, and some have found the decision easier to make than others. But for their own personal reasons, they chose to immigrate to Australia and permanently settle here. As an expat, we are often faced with the unbearable decision as to where to spend the rest of our lives. For some, the pull of the heartstrings to Ireland calls them back home. For others, that pull is not enough. And whilst they may miss Ireland and their family, the life they have created in Australia wins out. Everyone's experience is unique. Emigrants venture into a new unknown world. They leave the familiar to start afresh amid new cultures and environments. Some recall a profound sense of emotionally, of being emotionally uprooted. Others fully embrace the opportunities presented and continue to thrive. And some experience both. So with that, I would like to welcome Tina, David and Liz. You're all very welcome and thank you so much for joining us. So Tina, I might start with yourself. Can you tell us about your move to Australia, when that happened and how it came about? Sure, thanks Una. Uh, I came to Australia in permanently in 1985. I had previously spent two years here, um, 81 to 83, and couldn't stay um, permanently, wasn't sure that I wanted to anyway at that point. And after the two years back in Ireland, it was it was very difficult to get work. It was the 80s, it was it was dull and miserable and recession. And I think I'd had a, a glimpse of a different life. So I uh, my brother actually was able to sponsor me on a family sponsorship. And so I thought when I came back, I'd give it a go and see how I'd be after a year. But I actually was pretty sure when I came back that I'd be coming back to stay because I think I thought at that point there was nothing in Ireland for me. There was no real opportunities, uh, no jobs. I'd like no. And I think, too, at the time that, you know, there was no encouragement either to do anything. If you hadn't worked it out after school and if you were either brainy enough or rich enough to go to university, and I know that things are different now, but at that time there wasn't really any options for me. So I figured Australia was worth giving it a go. And it was like I said, 1985, and here I am, still here. And so was it Australia specifically because you had family here? I mean, you know, when you immigrate from Ireland, obviously there a lot of people go to England or they might go to the States. Was the pull to Australia 
was a big part of that because you had family here? Well, yeah, in a way, but because my, when I came the first time, my brothers actually arranged for me to come and, you know, very kindly bought me a ticket and uh, arranged a visa for me. So it was never really my choice, you know, uh, initially. So, uh, I mean, I wasn't even too sure where Australia was, to be honest, you know, limited education. And so I, yeah, and then, and then because it was, it was familiar after the first two years, I thought, well, I may as well. Go back. I don't know that I ever thought about going anywhere. I was only 18 the first time. Mm. So, you know, I was fresh out of school. I didn't really know anything about anything. So before you, you know, set off on your journey at 18 years of age, back in the 80s in Ireland, what did you know about Australia or what were you expecting to find when you got here? <laughs> A desert. <laughs> put an opera house in the middle of it you know? I, re I really didn't know very much at all and uh, I think the only program I'd seen was the Sullivans or Skippy you know I, I had no idea what to expect at all and you know, when I came I, I wasn't sure I, I was um I was staying with my brother in, in Sydney in Camperdown in a street just off Parramatta Road and I thought Parramatta Road was the town you know, so I started to tell you how little I knew, knew nothing. But, uh, you know, after a while, it, it took it took a while to say, I, I can't say in those first two years, I found it easy. It really wasn't easy at all. My brothers were both quite a bit older than me and I didn't meet anyone of my own age or I, I found life extremely different. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, to to travel away from home at that age and go anywhere is, you know, it takes quite a lot of bravery mm. to to go all the way to Australia at such a young age. Mm. You know, that that took a lot, Tina. So so fair play to you. <laughs> like I said, it was all kind of arranged for me. But I think the second the second time it was more of a thought of I've been back. You know, I, I was having a great time, mind you, uh, living it up. And um and then it just seemed to me there was something like that I had the opportunity to come back mm. and maybe I could make something of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and give it give it that 12 months. And 12 months later, I think I was in Fiji or somewhere like that, you know, thinking, oh, this is all right. Mm -hmm. So um, and, you know, over the years, like Australia has been very good to me. I've had more opportunities and experiences than I think I would have had had I stayed in Ireland. Mm hmm. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tina. Um, David, how did your journey to Australia begin? Uh, thanks, Una. Um, my journey to Australia. So I, I was born in the 80s. Uh, I thought I would always live in Ireland and I loved my uh, being from Tyrone. I thought I'd always live in that suburb or that county. Uh, I would say it was 2005. I went to the Netherlands and did Erasmus and realized that there was a world outside of Tyrone, which I didn't think existed. And it gave me a thirst for travel. I went to Africa the next year. And then uh, me and a friend, James McCabe, in 2007, were planning to travel to Australia, uh, the furthest place away we could could think of. But this was during the, the boom in Ireland as well. GFC hadn't hit at the minute, and everybody thought we were crazy leaving Ireland. In uh, we ended up leaving in January 2007. But Jamesy and I, I wanted to go to Melbourne first and spend a year traveling up the coast because I have a cousin that lives in Melbourne and Jamesy wanted to come to Sydney. So we literally tossed a coin when we were booking our travel uh, or planning to book our travel, and Jamesy won the coin toss. Uh, so we landed in Sydney via Thailand. So we spent our first two weeks in Thailand. Um, I arrived in Sydney. Uh, in a backpackers in Bondi and I got an ambulance call for me and I spent my first five days in Sydney in St. Vincent's Hospital because I picked up a bug in Thailand um, and it was my first time ever in hospital. I had a priest come to see me and I had the Irish consulate come and see me and things but um, I could never tell my mother and father um, that I was in hospital because they would have had me on the next flight back to Ireland. So this was pre- uh, pre-Facebook, pre-smartphones or anything, or they were just kind of coming in. So Jamesy went and bought me a Nokia phone at the time, and he would come in the hospital every day and tell me how beautiful the opera house was, and I would be on the phone to mum and dad going, God, you want to see the opera house? It's beautiful, you know? <laughs> so my first five days in St. Vincent's Hospital, but I got I got 
cleared and I was okay. And Jamesy, the friend I was telling you about, um, he was an electrician, but 2008, uh, they were a lot tighter in um, in Sydney around regulations and paperwork for electricians. So he went up to the central coast to find a job and I settled in a job in Sydney. Uh -huh. um, I fell into recruitment in Sydney because my hands were too soft. They wouldn't let me in a building site, I think. Um, and anyway, I was speaking to Jamesy about a month after he had arrived. He was up on Central Coast. He was having a ball. Um, this was early March. He said, I'm coming down into Sydney next week and we'll celebrate St. Patrick's together. And I said, that's brilliant. And then my mother called me two days later from Oma and Tyrone asking how Jamesy was going. I said, he's doing great. He's coming down uh, tomorrow or the day after. We're going to celebrate parties together. Um, to which mum said, he's sitting in the front living room watching Carnation Street having a cup of tea. Oh my so, God. so he woke up the next morning and he got homesick and he headed to the airport and headed home. And even though Jamesy was the more reliable one out of the two of us, so he was entrusted with the paper tickets because there were no digital tickets back then. So not only was he at home drinking a cup of his mum's tea watching Carnation Street, but he had my return ticket. Oh, my God. So I, I say the reason I'm still in Australia is because Jamesy is sitting back in Oma with my return ticket. So sixteen, nearly 16 years later. Um, I'm still here. But if I would have lost that coin toss mm -hmm. at the start of that story, God knows what happened. We would have started in Melbourne and the, the tables could have been turned dramatically. Oh, my goodness. Talk about a baptism of fire. Yeah. So um, whoever come up with the adage is it's important how you land is is absolutely not true because uh, I had a fairly rocky first two months, I would say. But um, still, oh, why do you think he didn't yeah. tell you he was going home? He was afraid I would talk him out of it, I think, you know, so um, he yeah. I've talked to him quite a bit since. And the reasons for him going home were were absolutely true. You know, the reasons he he uh, he had a girlfriend who's now his wife with three kids back in back in Armagh. He's living now and he had never lived away from home. So the the pull in the heartstrings was was too great for Jamesy. And he mm -hmm. had a, I am now married with three kids over here. So. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Good stuff. Thank you, David. And uh, Liz, welcome. Um, Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your move to Australia and maybe when that happened and how it came about? Yeah, um, I originally left home when I was just before my 19th birthday and I went to London to train in nursing. In those days, it was very, very difficult to get into a training hospital in Ireland. There was one I would have got into if I could pay, but needless to say, my parents couldn't afford that. Um, so I went to London and then after that, uh, myself and Tony and my husband, we had met at school and then we had sort of gone our separate ways for a while and then got back together. Um, Tony wanted to go to South Africa, which wasn't in a great political situation at the time. So we decided anyway on Australia. So Tony came March 75, I came July 75, and we got married in December. Wow. Um, yeah, like we were 23, a bit naive, I suppose. Um, yeah, just wanted a bit of adventure. We came on the old immigration scheme so that we paid 45 pounds. And if you came, and stayed for two years, you got automatic permanent residency, mm -hmm. which, you know, was a huge bonus. So, um, yeah, our plan was to be here for two years, save money, go back, build a house in Ireland, and then we would work, both of us would work out of Dublin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Liz, at the time when you left home initially to, to go to the UK, did you find, were a lot of people leaving Ireland at that time, for other opportunities yeah yeah it was um myself and my friend from school we went together but when we got there I'd say at least 75 percent of the staff were Irish mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was you know like it was tough enough going at times because it was the height of the troubles right and you know I mean we were lucky we didn't get too much of a backlash from it but um yeah a couple of times you know a patient would um mm -hmm. 
be a bit rude about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all in all, it was fine. And yeah, I mean, t- Tony wanted to get away from building sites in the winter. Yes. And, um, you know, there just seemed to be a lot of opportunities here. And I was like the third in line of 13 children. So I just wanted to get away. <laughs> so do you do you feel like so neither one of you was pulling the other towards you know emigration you both had that shared desire yeah to overseas yeah there was when I was little my father had cousins in um Adelaide and oh. I remember you know I think I remember seeing them twice yeah um but they would tell great stories about, you know, going across the desert from Adelaide to Perth and all the sheep stations and all this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so the seed was there from a very early age for me. I, yeah. I wanted to see Australia. Wow. Um, yeah, mind you, we, you know, landed in Renwick and Bondi Junction. So we were anywhere near a sheep station <laughs> or a desert. <laughs> Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah okay that's great Liz thank you so much so I suppose I'll open it up to all of you now um for those of you who left family behind in Ireland how did they react to your initial move um were they supportive did anyone you know show signs of concern or did anyone not want you to go or did you feel like you were leaving anyone behind? I think um, I, there's three of us here in Australia, you know, and I, I most of our family were sort of wanderers, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, looking back now, that my parents, they were really supportive of the idea, but I don't think they thought I would stay. And I was the youngest. And, and again, being so very young and spending the first couple of years here, um and then when I went back and we talked about you know whether I would come back again and then when I got residency to be able to come back and I was still what 22 at the time they were supportive but I think as the years went on and they got older um it was difficult but they they did say on occasion would you come back and I never felt that I would you know there's slight slight moments here and there I think when you know um David was saying about you know and the whole everything was looking great and the global thing was all good there was a small thing of "Hmm, maybe I could but uh really not but they were they were good friends friends were obviously you know saying oh we'd love to why don't you come back and stay but that's I think just an emotional thing it's just it's Mm -hmm. a normal thing but overall in, in my case the family they were they were supportive you know sometimes sad but supportive Mm-hmm. that's great great to hear I, I would kind of echo that I I small family back in back home small immediate family back home big extended family but it's only mom dad and a sister and I look back and especially now that I have kids mom and dad wished me all the best in going I think they thought I would go for a year um but they soon realized that it was going to be longer than a year, I think, you know, so it was really selfless of them. I think selfishly, they would want me at home. Yeah. Um, but absolutely selfless that they could see that there was an itch for me to travel and explore the world. So they gave me their blessings, blessings and off they went. Um, in January 2008, the first time I went back home was in March 2009. So just over a year later. Um, and then had a great time with my family. But then the first real challenge that hit me came in um, August of 2009. So my father, who had been ill for quite a time, but was fairly stable, um, uh, reasonably suddenly passed away. So I, I didn't I didn't make it home before he passed. Um, and I packed up my bags then. Um, I said goodbye to my girlfriend, um, who's now my wife. I said goodbye. I handed in my resignation to my manager, who is now my business partner, um, and said goodbye to my best friend. They left me to the airport. So I went home in 2009. Uh, that's it, you know. Uh, only son, go back and look after mother, go back and look after my sister. 
Um, but as soon as I got home, uh, um, they were putting me back on a plane to go back to Australia, to be honest, you know, so that I, I thought they really wanted me home, but it didn't do much for my ego to think that they, they wanted me gone as soon as I got home. But um, I spent the six weeks back in Ireland after my father passed and they convinced me that there was still a life in Australia that I hadn't um, fully explored yet. And I wouldn't say I was reasonably reluctantly put back in a plane, if I have to be honest, if I was given the option. But I had uncles and cousins and, and mum especially saying, look, there's you haven't ran that journey yet. Go back, you know, um, and I came back here in 09 and hooked up again with a girlfriend that's now a wife and uh, took the job back with, with the guy that's now my business partner. Um, and the first the first the first nine months after that, first six months, nine months were quite difficult, I think. But then I came over, I got over that hurdle and it was at that point that Australia became home for me, I think, you know, so it was, mm -hmm. um, and it was that point that family realized that, that I now have two homes, I think, Australia mm -hmm. and Ireland. So, mm -hmm. well, I think that's one of the biggest fears that expats have is that something will happen and you're not there. Mm. Um, so at the time, do you remember like how you felt about not being there was, you know, what, what was that feeling? You remember the feeling of not being there. Um, I, I'm extremely grateful for the, for the holiday that I had in Ireland three months before my father passed, because that's my last memories. Yeah. So my last memories of my father are all um, extremely happy memories. Right. Um, obviously I hold or I held a bit of resentment for not being there right uh, right at at the end of that, my father's journey but I think it's the contract the unfortunate contract that you sign up for when you live so far away from home that you're mm -hmm. going to miss some fatal moments of, of family life back home births deaths marriages unfortunately and um, I've had a lot of friends have had to go through the same and it's just one of the it can be the most difficult thing you have to go through, but arguably the most normal thing you have to go through. We should all have to go through it twice if we're lucky, you know, and being further away from home just makes it more difficult. But that's where I think I was blessed to have um, a community over here of friends that are that are almost like family. I think a friend when you're so far away from home becomes your your brother, your father, your mother, your sister, your aunts, your uncle. So support and surround yourself by that tight, tight community and support network makes it a little bit easier to get over the resentment that you might hold against yourselves. That's very well put. Thank you so much, David, um, for mm -hmm. sharing that um, experience with us. Um, Liz, you obviously grew up in a very large family and uh, mm -hmm. so maybe they were, were they, were they very happy to see you heading off? <laughs> Well, my father was. Um, it was one less wedding, I suppose, he had to pay for. But um, yeah, my mother was devastated and she was, you know, counting down the days for the two years to be up um, until we'd go home again. And um, then fairly close to the end of the two years, we said we were thinking of buying a house. And yeah, she was brokenhearted that, you know, that was it that she'd probably never see us again um because in those days like you know we sent telegrams and we would ring maybe once a month from the gpo in martin place and um she yeah my mother would have been quite happy if we all built a little house in the bottom of the garden and we all stayed there um but then after they my parents came for their first visit in 84 um they could see why we were in Australia and why we had decided to stay in Australia because, you know, they met our friends, our neighbours. They could see we both had, uh, you know, work and um, that, you know, we were settled and that definitely we had a lot of opportunities. Um, and I mean, my father was so impressed. He got the train one day out to uh, Liverpool. He saw a job advertised in, um, um, oh gosh, it was wonderful, like a bedding company. And it was a skill that my one of my younger brothers was doing in Ireland and he had just been retrenched. 
Oh, so wow. my father signed my brother up for a job and then had to go home and tell him that he was going to Australia as well. Oh my so then we, we had to sponsor him because he was under 21 at that stage. Um, so I do have a brother and a sister here, which, you know, is great. But um, yeah, I suppose the big thing is I would be very close to the top half of the family. But the younger kids, like my youngest brother was like three, four when I left home. Yeah. So I missed out a lot on their yeah. um, growing up time. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, they were very excited about us coming and, you know, write letters and sending Australian souvenirs and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, and again, you know, it's tough enough when you get here because. It takes a while to have that money put aside to go yes. back home in case of an emergency. You always have that at the back of your mind. Yeah. I mean, I was extremely lucky again that my parents were 92 and 86. And I was there when my dad passed away. I had been there three weeks prior to my mum, And then I was on my way back when she actually passed. Oh, wow. But you know i was lucky that i had spent time with her the three yes. weeks beforehand yes absolutely um, yeah things like that are huge and i think having children is a big yes yes thing as well uh when you don't have that family support around you but we had brilliant neighbors we had work colleagues that really looked after us um yeah. and yeah i think you know, joining something, belonging to something mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's lovely. So you, so do you feel like your mom was eventually very happy for you settled here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. she was. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, she was, I think they were sort of proud in their own way that we had left, you know, um, the situation we were in Ireland and we had sort of started to carve our life in Australia yeah um it was you know a good reflection on their parenting and yeah the way they looked after us that mm -hmm. gave us that independence but yeah you always have that I, I suppose again I was lucky because I had so many siblings yeah. so you know unlike David you know there wasn't just one boy or one girl um like our whole family sort of stepped in Yes. Uh, look after both my parents. So, yes. yes, I suppose in a selfish way, I didn't have that. Yes. Um. Yeah, yeah but to, you know, you'll always think, ah, oh, you know, should I? Shouldn't? Shouldn't I? And it's things like that that I think that make you think about it. And oh. then I think your own mortality as well, because as you're getting older, like the first time we said that we would be buried in Australia. My family were horrified mm -hmm. that you know we would have a funeral here that we wouldn't have our bodies sent back to Ireland. But I mean, our kids are here, all our friends are here, our life is here. Um, yeah, so you come across all these little ups and downs that make you think mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, it sounds as if you all have had great family support. Um, and I think that's probably one of the, the biggest things that people struggle with when they are making the decision. Family definitely plays a huge influence on that and plays on your mind. And um, I know that there has been elements of, you know, feeling of guilt almost. Um, but I'm I'm delighted to hear that, you know, you all seem to have made the decision, you know, that the, the decision came easily to you and it wasn't um, something that you struggled with or, you know, maybe deliberated over too long or there was, um, you know, heartache involved. So um, I'm very glad to hear that. But I wonder, you know, I know you've all been here for varying lengths of time, but over the years, have you ever had the sense of, a feeling of regret or have you ever doubted your decision or have you ever been in a situation and you've thought god i wish i i was back home now or i wish i was back living in ireland 
Um, I'd say no. <laughs> I think I think um, as the youngest, and you know, going through the the, the two times being here, um, occasionally, and I, I used to go back every two years, and it was almost like a obligatory thing, you know. Um, and a lot of it would be out of guilt, and um, and so while there was times where there were certain things I missed about being there, but never really. And I don't regret the decision at all. I think maybe because I was so young when I came so impressionable, I virtually grew up here, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and and I know that like for people there, there is that lot of angst about home, home and talking about um, you know, the 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 connection that you have. And as Liz said, you know, in the in, in the early days, you know, it was letters, telegrams, the occasional phone call, and now there's so much technology that can keep you constantly connected to your family which is a kind of a double-edged sword I think on the one hand <clears throat> excuse me it's great to have the regular contact but on the other hand you kind of have made your life you have made a decision to live somewhere else and be somewhere else and <clears throat> I think it's finding a peace within yourself and I, I know for a lot of people they struggle with the will I won't I will I won't I emotional versus practical or financial decisions um, I remember thinking at one stage, if I did go back, I'd have to live at home with my parents and that wouldn't do at all. Yeah. You know, that it just wasn't as easy to live and share accommodation as it was here. And I suppose from a, a reasonably selfish point of view, um, I thought, you know, and I couldn't be able to do my my own thing, whatever it may be. You know, there's like the neighbours don't know here what I get up to, you know, whereas they yeah. wouldn't come there. Um, but I, and I think also Australia is not for everyone. Mm. You know, there's a certain lifestyle here, which is great. There's a there's a, a connection to other people, but it isn't for everyone. And I think sometimes people maybe struggle with I should be happier or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And it takes, I think, maybe sometimes years to get to a certain point in your life where you're completely comfortable with yourself and your decisions yes that would be not just in terms of being an expat or living in a different country but in everything that you do to to be and also you know I mean I remember going back one time and I was 26 and the next door neighbor says you know there you are now you're back again from Australia are you married and I said no actually you won't bother now will you I was 26 <laughs> completely written off <laughs> I just thought right and that's why I don't live here <laughs> <laughs> but no I I have I have no regrets and and I love to go back and I enjoy it and I enjoy all the best of it but no no regrets at all well I think that's a really good point that you've just made that no matter you know whether you're an expat or not you know you will go through life with these kind of internal debates with yourself about decisions and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be about where you live mm. um so I think that's that's a really good point thank you Tina Hmm. Yeah, I must say I, I never regretted it. The only time I suppose we thought seriously about going back was before the kids started school. But mm. we we're going to go. We need to go now. Mm. But then again, you know, we had made friends in playgroup, preschool, you know, babysitting clubs. Um, so yeah. yeah, we were we were very very fortunate. Um, but I suppose you know, no matter where you leave, you'll always sort of think, yeah, should I or shouldn't I have? And then, like, now we're looking at it from the opposite side because our eldest son left here nearly 20 years ago when travelling, married a girl in Dublin. So, you know, like, he's there now and our grandchild is there and now we're sort of saying, oh, you know, like, we went in November and we're going again in August because she's starting school. Um you know, we want to go as often as we can while we're physically fit and capable of um, going. And I don't, he's just drawn to it, whereas the other three love going on holidays. They mm -hmm. love it, but never, ever, ever would consider for one minute about staying there. Yeah. Um, whereas he just went back and fitted in and yeah, he loves it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it is a big decision to come and I think you know it's a bigger decision and takes a lot of courage to say I'm going to stay yeah and, and make that commitment here and um you know 
it's difficult for your parents to come to terms with it sometimes but um you know like I've got nieces and nephews here now and sort of you know some of my siblings come on a fairly regular visit to visit them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah like we're in contact a lot which is great um and like we live very close to the airport so anybody who you know comes mm-hmm. from awfully and ends up here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um yeah but yeah n- yeah never any regrets we've been yeah. extremely it, we you know we've had ups and downs but overall we have been very lucky yeah. and I I couldn't picture myself now living in Ireland yeah and David I know that you have you're, you're the father of three small children was there any part of you that thought God I'd love them to experience growing up in Ireland uh no <laughs> <laughs> sorry there's a small part of me of course um I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month. We were back home at Christmas, actually. My mother hadn't met uh, my three-year-old or my newborn. She was two, actually, when we went home at Christmas because COVID had happened. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, their mum's only grandkids as well, right? So my sister doesn't have any kids, so mum hadn't met two of her grandkids. But I remember early on, way, way before I had kids, one of my main reasons for living in Australia or wanting to live in Australia is... um, I think there's no better place in the world to bring up kids. I love the outdoor lifestyle. I love an active lifestyle. And of course, you can have that in Ireland, but the weather plays a part over here, I think. So mm-hmm. um, I'd always pictured my kids growing up in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could have my mother closer, that would be absolutely brilliant. You know, um, the last eight years, I've been fortunate enough that I've I've been working and headed up Enterprise Ireland here. So that journey was four or five times a year going back to Ireland. So yeah. um, I have aunts and uncles that live up in Tyrone and, and their nieces live in Dublin and Wexford and they probably saw their nieces and nephews less and mum was seeing me. I was going back every every three months or four months. Um, so I, I, I was going back frequent, so it was very hard to get homesick because the next flight was only around the corner, right? But yeah, um, of course. The, the pivotal moment for me was... I got engaged in, if my wife's over here, man, I'm probably going to get the date wrong here. Um, I got engaged in 2014 in Paris, and then we were back in Ireland. Uh, so when you're just recently engaged, you're thinking about the future and planning life and all of this, right? So this was July or August um, time. So picture this, right? It was... Um, it was Mullockmore Beach in County Sligo there, Sligo Donegal border. I have Cynthia, who's Australian, Argentinian parents. Um, but we're on a beach in Mullockmore. Uh, and um, I'm thinking, right, this is the perfect setting. We've had a brilliant day. Perfect time to ask the question, would you ever think about maybe living here in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, to I got a straight no, no chance, right? Um, and I've got a picture of that moment. It's in the other room. I've got a picture. Everybody in Mullockmore is on is in shorts or swimwear. Cynthia's got a jacket on her and a scarf wrapped around her as if it's winter. So it is, right? So my aunt took a picture and it's just the most perfect picture. And I still have it because it almost acts as a reminder to me that um it's probably unlikely yeah. <laughs> I couldn't sail a summer's day yes where there is no chance yes. to sell in February and in, in Oma to my, to my yeah fair that enough. door was shut from from that moment I think yeah. <laughs> yeah and then were you were you okay with that then did you say okay fair enough I'm not gonna ask you yeah I think I was chancing my arm anyway just to see what type of reaction I would get I don't think I wanted the door to be fully open okay um, because I really enjoyed and I really enjoy life in Australia and the opportunities and the diversity and look I grew up in the north of Ireland and you were one side of the fence or the other side of the fence and you only talked to one side of the fence really you know so you lived in a really small closed bubble I love coming over here to Australia and the freedom it gave and the diversity it gave in, in every level possible. The diversity it gave of meeting other Irish people from different yeah. corners of Ireland. Yes. But yeah. then obviously the diversity, like let's say Cynthia is Australian Argentinian, her best friend is Australian Turkish, married to an Australian Russian. So I was getting 
experiences of the whole globe here in mm -hmm. Australia, which really mm -hmm. um, fascinated mm -hmm. me. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. so for those who aren't feeling as confident about their decision or they're, they're, it's, it's something that they're really struggling with and, and they've come to that kind of pivotal moment where they're, you know, getting to a certain age and maybe they're thinking, God, you know, which is it going to be? What would you say to someone in that kind of situation about making peace with with whatever decision they decide to make? Oh, that's a hard one. I I think you kind of got to write, like, do something really simple, like write a list of pros and cons. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the a lot of those thoughts from people that I've spoken to who have thought about it and have done it or not done it. A lot of it is based on emotion and the family or thinking that maybe things are better and then it comes down to things like money and you know have you got a job to go to have you got a place to live have you seen how difficult it can be to you know get into property in Ireland and go back in and start all over and I guess you've probably got to do the practical side and you know when you go back for a holiday and everyone's there and they're you know, delighted to see you. And then, you know, a week later, they're all going off and doing their own thing. Um, but I think you've got to really weigh it up. And if it's as simple as making a list and and the, the longest list wins, I guess, um, or else if you're really unsettled, then talk to somebody, you know, yeah. talk to somebody and even talk to a counsellor or someone professional to work through the reasons why you would or wouldn't and whether you could because I, I I don't know, I think for some people, it's it's a very emotional thing. They want to be close to the family or they have kids and they want their kids to meet family. Um, they're not, maybe they're not settled here. Maybe they're not, they don't belong to a group or something. There, there, there are so many reasons why somebody would. And I guess the thing is to really thrash it out, you know, and try to have a balance between your heart and your head. Mm. Mm. I, I couldn't agree more with that around sorry I'm going to contradict myself here right I think you know in your gut where you belong mm. um so so follow your own gut and don't let other people influence you you might have somebody back in Ireland that's trying to pull you back there and then guilt might bring you back but I I think we live in an age where it's really dangerous with social media and you can be having uh you can be having a really bad moment or a low day in Australia and you can jump on Facebook and see everybody's perfect Sunday afternoon back in Ireland. And then that can just lead into um, into more stress or trauma around your decision, you know. And um, I think speaking it out with a couple of really close people or like Tina Singh, somebody that's even removed from your circle and mm -hmm. might be slightly biased one way, mm -hmm. and the pros and cons outside of that moment and what's best for you and for like for me it's staying in Australia but I've had plenty of friends I think I'm lucky here with an Australian wife because her parents live here as well so we've got a great support network but yeah. I have friends that have kids and that pull to go back home to be around mothers father grandfathers and grandmothers and uh, mm -hmm. other kids and that's completely fine but um uh yeah don't compare your worst day with what you perceive as somebody else's best day, you know, and chat, chat to people through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think too, you need to look at the reasons why you made the move. Yes. Why? Why did you leave Ireland? Why did you pick Australia? What were your impressions? So, have it. You know, think about that. And well, has anything changed in Ireland? Has the situation got any better or got any worse? And has the situation changed in Australia? Has it lived up to your expectation? Or are you, you know, just disappointed that it wasn't what you expected? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and to say, yeah, having somebody to talk to, I think is a huge thing. Um, and it would, you know, probably do all of us the world go to speak to someone professional mm -hmm at some stage I think when you're making big decisions like mm -hmm. that or even just everyday life mm -hmm. to, to you know have a sounding board you know that you did make the right decision because like you're the only one who can do it yes and it's, and it's a huge decision 
Yeah, it is a huge decision. For most people. Not one that you need to make quickly. You know, you, you no. can't afford to take your time with it and to give yourself the space to really figure it out. And um, yeah, you just, I suppose, can't live your life for, for anyone else other than, than yourself. Um, mm. And you don't want to have regrets, you know, 20, no. 30 years down the track and say, oh, you know, I should have whatever. And also, you know, it, no decision has to be permanent. So even if you decide now that, you know, you're going to choose Australia to be your home, that doesn't always need to necessarily be the case. You can always go back. You can always come back. I myself went back to Ireland for a couple of years and then was able to return to Australia. So nothing is permanent. And even though, it, yes, there is, it is a big decision you can always change your mind and remember mm -hmm. that. I think that's really important too, because I think we see a lot of finality in, in whatever we road we just decide to go down. So um, yeah, I think that's important to remember too. Yeah, give, give, give it a bit more time than my mate, Jamesy. <laughs> yeah. just woke up one day, right? But I, I think they call it homesickness for a reason, right? Like um, it, you can't really control a sickness when it enters you, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know it's not permanent. You know it's going to yes. leave you. So yes. for me, for mm. me, homesickness certainly hit me at certain points. And I almost had a I almost had a, a method that I stuck to. I always went to a place that made me happy in Australia, which happened mm. to be the the bay in Balmain. I would always go and walk or run around the bay in Balmain. Mm -hmm. And I would always speak to a friend. Um uh, and to Liz's point, I would always try to remember my why I'm in Australia. So it was always those three things to go to my happy place, speak to a friend and remember my why. And uh, the homesickness doesn't come as often anymore, maybe on Christmas Eve or anniversaries or birthdays, the odd time. But I still stick to those three things. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, I really like that. And friend, yeah. Really like that. And it's manageable as well. You know, when you sort of acknowledge that, you think, oh, you know, like, I'd love to be back home on Christmas Eve, doing all those mm. things that we do at Christmas. And and you sort of acknowledge the, the feeling and then you can move on from it in a, in a way and just say, well, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. It's mm -hmm. fine to feel that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And it's really good, I think. Like, it's a positive thing as well, that you do mm. have those lovely memories and mm. traditions and that, you know, yeah, you, you, it was a happy place for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, because, yeah. I mean, Christmas is very different in Australia. Yes. Um, but, yeah, then after Boxing Day. Yeah. <laughs> It's cold and wet. Yes. Yeah. But, but the longer you you're away, the more job. the longer you're away, the more romantic those memories are yeah. in your head. I think, like I was home, I was, I used to always pine on Christmas Eve, and I was homeless Christmas Eve, and it wasn't a memory that was in my head. Like you know, <laughs> it, it was, it was still brilliant, but I couldn't feel my feet. Like you know, <laughs> that cold, so it was, um, it was a, it was a brilliant day, Christmas Eve back home, but it wasn't, it didn't match up with the memory that I had. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you all are a great example of people who've created a wonderful life here. And I think it's sending a message of hope and optimism to people who are in that stage of, of figuring out what they're going to do. But just finally, um, what do you think? And I know some of you have kind of touched on this, but um in terms of really making or really helping yourself settle into that sense of this being home you know what did you find worked for you was it um your friendship groups was it cultural groups was it other you know social outlets what what really helped you get that sense of feeling at peace and at home here yeah i think we, well for us i suppose we were lucky because um Tony worked out at Prince Henry Hospital in La Perouse when we arrived first. And the people out there really, you know, took him under their wing and um, we were invited to everything that was going on. I think, I think you have, you know, you need that sense of belonging no matter where mm -hmm. you live, you know, to be, whether it's, you know, a book club or a yes. baby group or whatever. I think, yeah, if you, and it can be, you know, quite difficult, but I think if you can 
you know, go with it and allow yourself to join something. Yes. Uh, and yeah, feel that you've got that sense of belonging and that your contribution is appreciated. And, um, you know, then you can, you know, feel better, I think, about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really important to have a support group around you. Yeah, belonging. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word. Mm. Yeah, I would echo that. I the word of warning is like we live in a city of six million people. Uh come from a town of fifteen thousand people, twenty thousand people back in Ireland. I think you would know nearly all twenty thousand people in the towns that we come from. But you can live in a city of six million people and you can be deeply lonely over here, you know, like it's Sydney. Um it's not as community focused as, or sorry, you don't fall into a community here as easily. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big believer if you, if if you're not part of a community, go find a community. You know, mm-hmm. like I've set up um, W Now, which is a men's well-being program and community with Tag Canelli, and that's because Tag and I set that up two and a half years ago, and Tag's been here for. 20 years um I've been here 16 years and we still thought we didn't we didn't have the community that we would have had back home so we've tried to build basically a village yeah feeling community um in the last two and a half years which has been brilliant for me in the last two and a half years but it, mm-hmm. um I don't think I had it before so yes if, mm-hmm. if you can't find a community build a community find your mm-hmm. interest and put it out there and you'll attract people but definitely find your community that's great advice Davis thank mm-hmm. you very much yeah I was lucky when I when I came back the second time I was in a share house with um two Australian girls and Australian guy and they um they were great to sort of I don't know getting me settled in a way um and I didn't really have much of a connection with the Irish community uh until I went behind the bar at the Gaelic club and and then for the next 14 years you know that became my community but I I really am so grateful to those people who you know, sort of took me in, I guess, and looked out for me. And so I was able to develop myself and get a bit more confidence about being away from Dublin, being away from my people and uh, just embracing this new life, new country, new ways. And then when I was ready, I I got more involved with Irish groups and, and I think, and, and then I found that was great. And, and to be part of, of, of something like we've all said, you know, a, a sense of belonging, whether it's something new or something vaguely familiar, it becomes more important. And the older you get, too, I think it, it mm. becomes more important. And finding friends, friends, friends are your family, yeah. kind of, you know. And, yeah a good friendship group and people that you have things in common with and people that you can spend time with whether they're Irish or not Irish I think that's what good friendship is is priceless Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and I think that's a really good point you know even just because we're from Ireland doesn't mean that we're going to be automatically drawn to other Irish Mm. people or or communities and and as David said if you can't find it there then then create your own based on what you you love and what you want to do so hopefully that will be um very helpful to a number of people I think it will be um so thank you all so much for sharing your story, your experience, your thoughts, your advice. Um, I would like to put it out to see if anyone has any questions um, that they'd like to ask um, to any of the uh, the contributors tonight. Please feel free. You can pop it into the chat or feel free to put yourself, um, take yourself off mute and, and um, just uh, shout out. As the question's coming in there, I'll give an aside. Somebody said to me when I first came to Australia, the best way to integrate into Australia is to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up doing, I was a Gaelic footballer from back home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're a normal lad. I ended up doing salsa dancing when I came over here meeting people. Um, I met Cynthia at a Mardi Gras party, um, uh, which I probably would have said no to in 2008, the Ireland we were back then was different than now, but I was saying yes to everything. And it was the best advice I ever gave because 
you can come over here quite blinkered, but I yes. I I um definitely developed a better concept of Australia by throwing myself into Aussie culture and how diverse it is rather than just going to the tea gardens on weekends or whatever might have been the trip back then. So say say yes to everything. You obviously came over in the right frame of mind, um, David. Um, so good for you. That that's a good way of, of looking at it. Um I just noticed there that Christine has also popped in a couple of just if anyone is struggling with um you know the decision or they just they are looking to speak to someone on a more professional basis there are a couple of support um services available specifically for Irish expats um so you've got Helplink um they're based in County Galway and they offer um sort of support for um telehealth uh, and sort of online health for expats um so was there any um questions from anyone there um okay just have one question in here um and, and this is for anyone i believe why do you think so many Irish people emigrate from Ireland? I think it's just a cultural thing, isn't it? It's like the wandering, the wandering thing. But also for maybe for people to find a better life. I mean, at various times in Ireland, things have been really tough, you know, whether it was famine times or, you know, the the 70, 60s and 70s. And, you know, when I came in the 80s, Ireland was not a great place to be or not a great place to live in for you know economic reasons but also for like social reasons you know when you look at how ireland is now compared to how it was then it's extraordinary mm. the changes that have come through mm. and maybe that's a reason you know what my people like us left for all our own different reasons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's circular i'd echo that that ireland said it's ups and downs but we have a history of emigration for sure Mm -hmm. um, I think what also feeds that is it doesn't matter what country you go to in the world, we've been welcomed with open arms. So it kind of it kind of just keeps feeding it. You know, you hear the good oh. stories from overseas about the Irish and how well we were received elsewhere by diaspora and by the 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 people of the country we're going to, and it just keeps feeding the loop, you know. So mm -hmm. you hear the stat mm -hmm. about 70 million passports globally and only you lost mm -hmm. six million on the island. So mm -hmm. yeah, long may continue. Mm -hmm. I think we're good at looking after each other as well. Yes. Whether that's a cultural thing or what, but I must say 99.9% .9 people, of Irish people that we've met, and we've got like a group like the League of Nations, you know, a bit like David. Um, but I think, yeah, we're compassionate and we are um, willing to, you know, give what we can um and support each other you know for them to make the next step um i don't know i mean sometimes maybe it might be nice to have like a mentoring program or something like that or you know if somebody is struggling that they could be um well, well i mean look at look at how lucky we are to have an organization like the irish support yeah. i mean how good is that like when you hear about people having accidents or you know passing away suddenly or whatever crisis they meet around the world and you know i mean i just said it recently how lucky are the irish to have the irish support agency in sydney mm -hmm. you know like i know it's new south wales and there's the organizations in brisbane and perth but it just shows like uh, how caring we are and you know that we do want to give absolutely that we try and make it as easy as we can for the next person coming behind yeah uh, but yeah i think you know the irish community in sydney is just yeah brilliant They're, they yeah. they really really are They're mm -hmm. very good okay and look sorry could i say something yeah. Is that okay? It's Catherine here. Um, I was wondering, um, I'm not a joiner. I don't like joining anything. Um, but I do like being involved in things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, the three of you have been here for so long, and you've all individually been involved in 
sort of uh, individual groups. So like, like a, a silo, but not a silo mentality. Do you think there's anything sort of that, that uh, could be brought out for new people? Just maybe like what you just said there, Lee, is about like a mentoring group. Would there be an opportunity for people from different walks of life and different groups in the Irish community to get together to be sort of like um, uh, a resource for people to come and get life skills or just how to integrate or what to do if they if they wanted to integrate? I think, you know, somebody like the ISA or the GAA, I mean, they're a magnificent group of people, the GAA, and they're so supportive of each other. I guess it's just making that first step and finding the group that you do connect with because, you know, the GAA may not be for everybody. Um, and then, you know, they... Yes. I suppose where I was going with it, there isn't sort of one overarching um, body that likes that promotes all of these groups together like the GAA will promote the GAA the um, support agency promotes the sport uh, support agency I was just wondering you know if there was a representative from each of them so they could have a sort of like a, a bigger body yeah I, I I hear you Catherine and so as in the board of the Lansdowne Club board of the Ireland funds um, and then obviously worked in the Irish government uh, until recently what i would say is um rosie Keane, the current con all the consul generals have been brilliant and i know you've known your fair share of them um but rosie Keane that we have at the minute is amazing i think and she's uh own finney before her but i think rosie's taking it into a different level of trying to pull of trying to be that body that pulls all the irish groups together mm -hmm. uh, she is um monthly breakfasts at the minute where she pulls the irish groups together um so they're all at least talking to each other and thinking off the off the same page um i do think that there's room for like an irish shared calendar of events that's happening across new south wales so when somebody lands i think as liz was saying there's so much diversity from the irish accountants group to the irish mummies network to w now's mostly irish to the support agency to the Lansdowne club to you, you name it and there's probably a group that you would at least see an interest in but getting getting visibility across what's happening for all those groups at any one time um can be a little bit challenging so Rosie's yeah. doing great work and I think there's a little bit of work to be done sounds like um like what would be great would be some kind of welcome to Australia type thing mm. you know where it's like a whether I know there's a couple of groups that are doing resources about moving to Australia. But it sounds like if you had a group, some kind of group that was would have an actual face-to-face -face thing where, you know, if you've just arrived in Australia, and how you would do this, I have no idea. But if you just arrived and you wanted to either meet people or find information, that you'd go somewhere and that would be there. Maybe. That could be... Hmm. Sorry, it's Paula here. Um, we have long since talked about doing what we would call a Fulgis Jack, potentially once a month, where we would make ourselves an Irish support agency available for entirely that that circumstances. And having done just at the beginning of June there, kind of like a webinar, going back to Ireland in terms of all the things that you need to do to integrate in terms of, but that was targeted at backpackers and young people. And I think the issue is, that you've obviously got people coming over at a professional level, sponsorship, you know, and you know, straight into permanent residency, and and obviously we've got some people coming through that kind of special talent group as well. So like rocking into say a venue, which I suppose in the planning stage we kind of thought that might lend itself to the Gaelic club of an evening before a Friday session where we would make ourselves available for an hour and, you know, just try and understand what people's needs are because at the moment the support that we're giving is purely on, through our website and that I would agree with David Lakela um, and the work that Rosie's doing also offers an opportunity to kind of potentially respond to Catherine's thing. It's about maybe getting a mentoring group together, you know, or say an overarching handful of people 
that may be able then to to meet the needs of across the community rather than the backpackers or that new arrivals that that people coming in at these different tiers of, of entry level or you know bringing families whatever the, the needs are very very different but there may that might be something we could table with Rosie as part of the next Lakela to turn around and say would there be appetite across the groups to get a GA representative, an ISA representative, to don't mean somebody else across, say W and I or whatever, um, to to maybe embrace that that recommendation and, and kind of fill that gap. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, Catherine, for the question on that, and I hope that has has answered it somewhat. And any further kind of developments on on progressing that we will certainly um, keep everyone as as updated as we can. Um, so look, I just wanted to say a final thank you to all of our contributors, um, Tina, David, Liz, you've all shared very openly and honestly, and um, I really do believe that, well, I know it's, it's helped me <laughs> um, somewhat, so I, I'm sure that it will help other people. Um, so um, thank you all and um, wish you all a lovely evening. Thank you. Great to take part. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we hope that you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate and review so more people can find us. Until next month.